slow. Ah, good morning, GRX. Welcome to Sunday worship. Please find a seat. Oh, you guys all found a seat already. Stand up and worship with us, please.
GRX. Please remain standing as we pray. We are going to shout out loud to how good God is. So let's pray. Dear God, Heavenly Father, Lord, merciful and gracious God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you this morning. We praise you for the sunshine. We praise you for our feet. We praise you for our shoes. We praise you for our lips. We praise you for our hands that we raise up to honor you and to glorify you because you, you, God, are good to us. You, God, have been good to us, and you, God, continue to be good to us. Thank you for how much you love us. Thank you for how much you love our children, for our tweens, our teens, our adults, and our grandmas and grandpas. Thank you for how you show up in our lives. 
Thank you for how you've shown up at GRX and our church and our 20-year history. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that you've shown on the cross. Lord, it, it is in you that we live and move and have our being. And today, God, today we give ourselves to you. Today we pledge ourselves to you. God, thank you for all you've given us. And Lord, we pray that we can walk worthy of your calling. Thank you for how good you are to us. And we seek you today. We set our eyes on you today. We make room for you today in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Ooh, okay. I thought I was going to have a caboose. Oh, okay. Come on up. Welcome, everyone. Woo. Feels so warm and fired up. I have a, a special message. What are we going to say? Welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone. Yay. Great Exchange Covenant Church Sunday service coming at you. So happy uh, to be bringing you some. What do we have today? Yeah, my name is Sandy, and I have with me Stevie, and let's take it away with announcements. So, first up, today is Pledge Sunday. Pledge, not the household cleaning product that polishes your wood. Today's pledge is something different. It will involve cars that we will be collecting later. Uh, second announcement is the Christmas potluck coming up. Saturday, December 3rd, right here from 6 to 8.30 p.m. It'll be a potluck, so bring food. Um, sign up so that you can let us know what dish you're going to bring. Uh, Phoebe, what kind of food do you like to eat? Chicken. Pizza. So, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink if you don't know what to bring. Chicken, pizza, olives. Guaranteed crowd pleasers. Um, it's such a fun event here at GRX, so please do think about joining us. There's going to be, like we said, food, <laughs> um, hopefully some of Phoebe's favorites, as well as games and just merriment for everyone of all ages. So that's the Christmas potluck. And last up, uh, we will be having baptisms and child dedications on Christmas Sunday. So that will be really wonderful. If you're interested in getting baptized or having your child dedicated, uh, there's a class December 11th at noon. So please do sign up uh, soon if you're thinking about it. All right. With that, uh, I think it is time for all the kids to come to the front. So Phoebe, if you are a kid, what should you do right now? to the front. All right, come to the front, please. Thank you so much. Yeah, guys, go ahead and come on up. And Thanksgiving is Thursday, as I'm sure a lot of folks know. And so there's a lot of stuff to give thanks for. Um, of course, I could talk about how thankful I am that uh, my California Golden Bears won the 150th big game, um, scoring 21 points in the fourth quarter to come from behind in a victory. B but I won't talk about that. Um, I won't talk about that to be thankful for. 
Um, but here at church, especially, we are reminded again, to, there's a lot of things to be thankful uh, to God about. There's a lot of things to be thankful for um, in our relationship with God. And so uh, there are three things that I'm going to just share, and I'm going to also ask you um, some questions to see what you're thankful for. So the first thing I'm going to share about that we can be thankful for is food. We can be thankful for food. And are there any favorite foods that you all have that you really enjoy eating, that you are that you're thankful for? What, what do you like to eat? I mean, I've already heard that Phoebe likes to eat pizza and chicken and olives. What do you like to eat? Ravioli. All right. So certainly we can be thankful for food. And uh, Dorothy, can you pass me just a, just a little reminder? Um, this is a waffle, some ice cream on it, chocolate. I'm thankful for all things kind of sweet. But one of the things we can be thankful for is thanking uh, God for food. And so sometimes before we, we eat meals, we pray and we thank God or we say grace. We thank God for food. Um, something else that I'm thankful for and that um, I know people here at GRX are thankful for is also family. And George, can you put that picture up? And so, ooh, we are looking very thin there. <laughs> you know, I love how, like, uh, our it's a very thinning effect. So, um, but we're thankful for family. And I know that's one of the things here at GRX that we're thankful for the family, um, our families, the family that God gives us. Um, and then the third thing that I'm thankful for here at GRX is fellowship. And we got a third picture here. Let's see how this is. Yeah. And so some of you might recognize this. This is from uh, the trunk or treat. And this is Uncle Shin or Auntie Fang. But one of the things that we can also be thankful for, and especially here in our GRX Church community, is that God gives us fellowship, fellowship with one another, um, fellowship in Kid Zone, fellowship in church, fellowship in life group, fellowship in reset, that it's very special that God gives us a place where we can be with other Christian brothers and sisters and walk together in life, learn together, and worship together. So that's just a little community moment for us to be thinking about the things that we're thankful for. Thankful to God for as we go into Thanksgiving. Food, family, fellowship. And you might even be thankful for football. But that's a different part of it. So let me invite the Kid Zone kids to go ahead and head out the back with Teacher Molly. Let me invite all the adults to stand up. And if you're new... Uh, with us, this is one of your first or second Sundays, and you've got kids, um, let me invite you to go ahead and lead with your kids and register them for Kid Zone. Thanks for joining us to worship.
falling.
Lord, thank you for coming to rescue us wherever we go, whatever we sacrifice, whatever we give. Lord, thank you just for coming us and just rescuing us where we're at, Lord. Um, just pray that you open our hearts as we listen to um, your word being spoken through Pastor Nate. Let's praise your name. Amen. Good morning. Thank you, worship team. Welcome, everyone. Um, whether this is your first time or your manyest time, uh, we're glad that you're here, and we believe that God has something for all of us this morning uh, from God's Word, and so just good to see all of you today. Uh, my name is Nate. I am the associate pastor here at GRX. Um, over the past little while. We've been going through a series on hospitality, and um, this month, November, is also our stewardship month. So we're kind of like looking at two different things, um, but they're very uh, much connected. Um, so hospitality and stewardship are very much about how we care for one another. And I think especially, you know, now that we're, what, coming in on... Uh, year whatever of COVID life, um, year three, I guess, three and a half, four. Um, I think a big thing is, a, a big question for all of us as a church, um, as your families, as just friends and people uh, who are invested in one another is how do we take care of each other? How do we look out for each other? Uh, when the stakes feel higher, um, how do we just make sure that uh, the people that we care for and love are going to be okay? And so hospitality and stewardship are both kind of different dimensions or sides of that. And so hospitality, um, on the one hand, as we've been exploring, hospitality asks, how do we care for one another? And stewardship asks, what has God given me to care for? So how do we care for one another? And what has God given me or given us to care for? And so those are kind of the big picture things. Obviously, hospitality, often we end up thinking about inviting people into our homes or stewardship. We end up thinking about money and resources. But really, the big questions are, how do we care for one another? And what has God given us to care for? And especially with the holidays coming up, uh, we're already in, you know, late November. And so Thanksgiving is right around the corner. And once, once Thanksgiving happens, then it's going to be Advent. And then once Advent happens, then it's going to be Christmas. And then once Christmas happens, it's going to be 2023. And once 2023 happens, then, you know, then it's just a brand new year. And with all sorts of different challenges and questions and, and big things coming up, transitions for many of us, I'm sure. Uh, but time blows by, and time is weird in COVID. Uh, it just is. I don't know how to, how to really plan out my life anymore. And so it, we're just left with these big questions, right? Um, what do we do with the time that we have? And so with the holidays coming up, uh, and you think about people kind of coming over to your home or you going over to relative's place, uh, we'll be thinking about buying gifts, things like that. These are questions of hospitality and stewardship. So the question for us is what will these things look like? How will we care for one another? How will we steward our resources? All the things that God has given us. 
for some of us, obviously, the holidays can be uh, stressful, for one. Uh, but for others of us, the holidays can actually be difficult and challenging for a number of different reasons. They bring up big questions about who's here and who's not. Uh, what have we lost during COVID? Um, the holidays are a time where all these things kind of rise to the surface. And so I hope today, before the holiday chaos really begins, um, that we just take a step back, slow down, breathe. That's really what these moments are for as we gather to worship, to take a step back and to say, what is God doing in our lives? Where is God working? What are some of the questions that I would rather ignore during the week? Things that I cover up with busyness and activities. What is God saying to us as we approach the holidays? And it's a chance for us to get our priorities straight. And so I think that's what Jesus does for some folks in our Bible passage today. Um, so we're going to read uh, from Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven? You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I have entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put any oil on my head but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of God for the people of God today. And so when we look at this passage, oftentimes we, um, and different versions of this passage in the other Gospels, a lot of times we, we uh, like to talk about uh, what the gift that she brings to Jesus, which is this alabaster jar of perfume. Alabaster is a kind of a glass rock type substance. It's kind of like marble. It's expensive, and, and obviously 
to, uh, to have an alabaster jar of perfume uh, was probably one of her most prized possessions. And so I want to kind of focus a little bit on some of the questions that come up in this passage about the value of fame, the value of fame. And so that's kind of what we're going to be focusing on today, value. What is valuable in this story, and how do we kind of work through some of that? And so we're going to play a game first, okay? So it's going to be like, um, like Price is Right, essentially, okay? So we're going to try to determine the value of some things, and I'm going to test all of us before Christmas get started to determine the value of some things. So just shout it out. I'm just going to show something on the screen. Just shout out how much you think that thing is worth. Um, and of course, like Price is Right, you have to stay below, you know, below the actual price. Once you go over, you lose, okay? So the first thing is this. Okay, this is first edition Charizard, okay? Um, okay, if, oh, for our youth, do you know what this is? Yeah? Okay. Okay, just checking. I don't know if it's a generational thing or... Actually, uh, older people, do you know what this is? Okay, I don't want to just assume, maybe this is just a millennial thing. Anyway, so uh, first edition Charizard, it is the best, the most important Pokemon card. Um, this is a PSA 7, I don't know what that means. Any guesses? 490, you mean 499 or $4.99? $4.99, okay. 800, 200, 5,000. How much? 800, okay. 10,000? Wow, okay. <laughs> One dollar, Bob. Um, George, can you show the price, please? $11,999. Yes, I believe Toby was closest with his $10,000 bid. So, of course, there are some cheaper versions of the Charizard, but I guess this PSA 7, you know, first edition shiny, obviously, um, 12 grand. So, next one. Okay, some of y'all know what this is. This is a Tesla Model 3. <laughs> wow, wow, very exact number. Given in the back. <laughs> okay, so I, I have two prices here. I have the standard and the, uh, and the performance, okay? So, so we'll, we'll give both, but I assume there is air conditioning in this. Okay, okay, I have a bid for, oh, it's not really a bid. I have a guess for uh, 70, you said 75? 65, okay. So at least on the website, what I saw, uh, there's no uh, slide reveal, but at least on the website, what I saw for standard, 40,390. For performance, 56,390. Okay, I don't know. That's what the website says. Okay, next slide, George. Okay, this is a Adidas Yeezy slide. Okay, so Yeezy, obviously, as I know all of you know, um, is Kanye West's um, fashion brand. As you can see, it's a beautiful piece of footwork. Uh, footwork, footwear. Um, so this is on StockX. StockX is a, is a second-hand uh, resale, reseller of, of shoes, of footwear. And so it's where all the hype beasts go to buy their, uh, their shoes. Uh, any guesses on the Adidas Yeezy slide? Oh, wow. 
<laughs> to a thousand. Yep, possibly. So I heard 300, 250, 318, 319. Any guesses from this side? One dollar, Bob. George, can you show the price? $300 was the last sale for the Yeezy slide in bone color. Um, okay, so would you spend 300 on the Yeezy slide? That's up to you, you know? That's up to you. Okay, George, next slide, please. Oh, what is this? It's not the Yeezy. It's Dikezi. Dikezi. I can't even pronounce that brand on the top there. Dikezife. Uh, unisex slide sandal, okay? Non-slip soft pool slide. Four stars on Amazon. It literally looks the same as the Yeezy slide. Okay, yeah. Okay, here's 12, 15, 20. <laughs> oh, well, I have Amazon Prime, so we don't have to worry about shipping. Okay, George, can you show it? No price? You didn't get my Yeezy, two, I mean, my fake Yeezy 2 slide? Okay, uh, the price was, yeah, sorry, uh, $15.99. $15 so, hey, would you rather have name brand Yeezy slide for $300 or Dikezife for $15.99? Think about it. Pray about it. Okay, uh, next one here. Okay, fire-ravaged hovel. I don't even know what hovel means. It's a house um, in Silicon Valley. How much do you think this house, and the lot, of course, the lot, uh, I forget how much the lot was, but, or how big the lot was, but how much do you think this property? I think it was Willow Glen. Say 2,000? <laughs> Say it again. 1.3 million, 2.9 mil. Okay, 200k. All right. Getting some. I mean, these are some wide ranges here. Okay, I heard 800. Uh, do you want to show it, George? 800,000. 800,000. So below what some of y'all thought. It's a deal. It's a deal. You should go for it. Okay, obviously. Bay Area, property rates, and land is very expensive. And if you have the money uh, to purchase this, then you can potentially redevelop it, whatever, right? Turn into an apartment complex, everything that people do. And so uh, can you all guess what $800,000 will get you in Houston, Texas? Next slide, please, George. This is what $800,000 will get you in Houston, Texas. So... Quite nice. Please don't move. Please don't move. Okay, thank you for playing. Thank you for playing Price is Right, everyone. I am not trying to encourage materialism or anything this Christmas season, but just to get an idea of how much things are worth these days. Obviously, uh, during COVID and with inflation and everything, uh, even the value of things seems kind of hard to pin down these days. I got a bowl of pho a couple weeks ago, and I paid $19 for a bowl of pho. It was painful because I remember I used to go get pho and, you know, spend less than 10 bucks, right? Maybe for a medium bowl you get for nine bucks, right? But now it's everything, it feels like it's hard to get a meal for less than 20. 
what is value based on? How do we determine the value of anything? Right? Uh, any economists in here? How is value determined? Yes, <laughs> supply and demand. Uh, and so supply and demand just means uh, the, the, it's how much somebody, how much people want something and agree that it's valuable. And the supply is how scarce it is and how much, um, how available it is. I'm probably oversimplifying things. I'm not an economist. Um, but supply and demand is often how we determine things, at least objects on sale and how much it, it, uh, it costs in society. But the main thing I want us to, to notice here with this game is that the value of something is often socially determined. It's context-based. So the value of something depends on what, what we together say, like how much we say something is valuable. And so Yeezy slides might not be valuable in 10 years because we might rightfully realize that they are not a good-looking shoe, <laughs> right? Or the fact that people are willing to pay 300 because it has the name Yeezy on it, but people will pay 16, only pay $16 for the knockoff, right? And so it depends on a society to give something value, and that, so that value can rise and fall, just like the stock market, just like anything else, just like housing prices. We can't depend on uh, something being the same price next week or next year or 10 years from now. Uh, it goes up and down depending on the context. And so given that today we're talking about stewardship, right, given that today is about Pledge Sunday, uh, given the fact that Christmas is coming up and many of you will be buying gifts for one another and for your loved ones, I think it's helpful for us to think about how valuable things are in your own life and in our Bible story today. And so like I said, a lot of times when we read this story in the Bible, we get stuck or we, get, we like to focus on the alabaster jar because it's so specific how Luke mentions that. It's an alabaster jar of perfume. But I want to focus less on the objects and the value of objects in this story and more about the value of the people in this story and how Jesus navigates uh, who is valuable and what that might mean for us as we think about hospitality and stewardship. So just to set the scene, um, just to remind us, um, so the story actually starts off as a story about hospitality, right? It's about the hospitality of a Pharisee named Simon. And so Simon invites Jesus over to his home, and they're about to sit down together to enjoy a meal. But of course, there's a surprise. Before they can begin eating, a woman enters the scene. And Luke describes her as a woman from town. A woman from town. In other words, she's a prostitute. Okay, so let's start with this woman. So we're going to look at uh, the woman, and then we're going to look at Simon. So what do we know about the woman? Well, not a ton. She is unnamed, right? She doesn't have a name. Instead of actually having a name, she is given other identifiers and labels, right? So Luke calls her a woman from town. He says, this is a woman who has lived a sinful life, verse 37. What does it mean to be defined by a life of sin? That's all we are given about who she is. She is a woman from town who has lived a sinful life. And Simon, in verse 39, calls her sinner. He says, Jesus, if, you, if Jesus really knew who this was, he would know. 
she's a sinner. Based off of these labels, she has very little value in society. She is not somebody who is worth anybody's time, and certainly not the time of a Pharisee and an important person like Simon or Jesus. This woman is a prostitute. She is a sex worker. She is somebody who puts her body at risk for her profession, someone who is regularly at the mercy of unknown men. And today in our story, she is also in the presence of unknown men. So maybe you can imagine the kind of danger or fear that is involved in her showing up in this place. She is literally trespassing in the home of powerful men. So a big question that might be easy to overlook before we even look at how extravagantly she loves Jesus, before we can look at how beautiful her her act of love and admiration is, what if she had never gotten there in the first place? As we think about hospitality, it's strange to look at this woman and say, she made space for herself where where there was no space given to her. She essentially took it upon herself to go into this house uninvited because she actually has every reason to stay home. And I think if I was her, I would have stayed home, right? To believe that because she has all these labels, woman, prostitute, sinner, sinner, that there would be no way that Jesus, this holy man who's been performing all these miracles, there's no way that this man would accept her and allow her to even be in his presence, right? That's, what, that's exactly what Simon is, is upset about. She shouldn't even be in his presence. She has, and she has every reason to accept this about herself, to accept her sad state, to live in fear, and to believe all the ways that society has named her and boxed her in. Because that's what labels do, obviously. They trap us. They limit our imaginations for ourselves. Labels can even damage our relationship with God. I think there are a lot of ways that maybe for some of us, we have also allowed others, either other people, other systems, we have allowed society to name us and define us, to determine whether or not we are valuable or not. Even just this past week, I learned of a close friend of mine whose three-year-old son is being bullied at school. He's uh, in preschool in the East Bay. I learned about our, my, other, uh, my other friends have a four- or five-year-old daughter in preschool who is experiencing racial taunting and bullying. And it's sad to think that even in the Bay Area, whatever that means, right, that already at such a young age, there are kids being labeled and bullied and put in these boxes, allowing others to name them, to say, you can do this, you can't do that, you're weird, like you look funny, or the things you eat are weird, whatever, that all these things over time begin to shape us, disform us, distort who God has made us to be. I imagine that some of you all have experienced this too. I experienced it when I was young in elementary school. Over time, both from other whatever bullying, but also even from all sorts of places, sometimes even from your parents, sometimes even from church and in faith communities 
people shape us and name us in ways that are harmful to the ways that God has actually made us, ways that quench our gifts, stifle our voices, and make us believe that something is wrong with us. Many of us may have grown up uh, with outside forces that taught us to stay quiet or to be afraid, just like the woman could have stayed home and accepted her fate, accepted that God would want nothing to do with her. Even when I started going to church, in a lot of ways, I actually learned that maybe God actually wanted me to stay quiet, uh, that God wanted me to sometimes live in fear, to focus on my own, just, just focus on my own morality and my good behavior, to not care about the world, to not cause trouble. I think specifically of uh, some of the folks, particularly some of the women, young women that I grew up with, uh, who were part of churches that never believed uh, in them, right? Uh, young women who I've known who are deeply gifted but never believed in their capacity to teach or lead because their faith communities did not allow them to. So even churches sometimes, sometimes especially churches, can fall into the trap of gatekeeping or labeling, limiting what God is doing in people's lives. But I hope from this story and from all sorts of stories in the Gospels, we begin to see that actually Jesus kind of has a thing for troublemakers. Jesus has a thing for people who push these boundaries, who break out of the labels that society and others have put on them. Jesus kind of has a thing for, for people like this woman, people who have nothing left to lose someone who would trespass in this man's house, show up unannounced and uninvited because she had a tiny sliver of hope that maybe Jesus would actually see her and find her to be worth his time. The question for us is, how does she begin to transcend these labels? What gives her this idea that Jesus might be different? In the, in the verse, almost right before this passage that we're reading today, uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 34, it says this. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, you is uh, the, some of the other religious leaders, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In other words, there's been a rumor going around that Jesus likes to hang out with sinful people. And so maybe this woman caught word of this strange rumor that there's a rabbi, a miracle worker, a religious leader who loves sinners. And maybe he sees value where other people don't. And based off of that tiny mustard seed of hope, she busts through the doors, trespasses in Simon's house, walks up to the man who might give her a chance. I think that when we begin to truly believe that we are valued and accepted by God, that's when we can actually become good troublemakers for God's kingdom because we will be truly free. When we believe that we are valued and accepted by God, we won't be afraid of what other people think or about making mistakes. We can truly love God and each other out of the fullness of who God has made us to be. Which is to say that we can practice hospitality with each other. We can give and we can steward our resources not out of guilt, 
not because somebody told us to, not because it's a rule that we need to follow, but because we know that we are free in God. We are accepted and loved and valued by God. And so Jesus sees her worth, and he honors the woman and her faith to take the risk to even show up, to even come to this man's house. And for those of us who have often felt left out or unsure of how God sees us or feels about us, this is good news. But the woman is not the only one in this story who Jesus speaks to. And I think it's easy to say, the woman, let's just focus on her and her alabaster jar, and the bad guy here is Simon the Pharisee. But I also believe, and I think, it's, I think we also know, that deep, Jesus also deeply values Simon the Pharisee and loves him very much. And I think there's something to learn from that for us, too. So Simon is a Pharisee. Right? And for those of us who have grown up in church or, or who have been here for a while, uh, typically when we talk about Pharisees, uh, it's kind of like a bad title. Right? But I don't want to judge uh, our Pharisees today. Uh, Pharisees, just like us, are real people with real hopes trying to make sense of the world, of their crazy world. So today I want us to hear the word Pharisee less as like a legalistic, rule-following uh, kind of overly religious person, and more as somebody who has power. Pharisee as a religious leader, um, somebody who uh, has the power and privilege and status that comes from their level of education and their role in Jewish society. So not so much about the legalism and the rule following, more that they have a status. And I want to humbly suggest for us today that a lot of us are like Simon, including me. And again, it has nothing to do with being overly religious or legalistic. I mean it more like, I think, I think we, like Simon, have a strong sense of responsibility to not squander what we have and what we've achieved. I think we, like Simon the Pharisee, have a strong sense of responsibility to not squander what we have, and what we've achieved. What do I mean? I think many of us, whether it's explicit or not, have grown up with this sense that we have to make good on things. Our education, our resources, that we have to make something of ourselves. More specifically, what I mean is that I think a lot of us have this sense that we should honor what our parents and grandparents have sacrificed for us. Maybe we don't have to be the richest people in the world or the most successful person we know, but one thing that we can never do is move backward. And we certainly can't lose the security that our parents and grandparents have fought really hard for. And I think like, the, like Simon the Pharisee, what he can't, get over, what he can't accept about what Jesus is saying is because he has too much to lose. He cannot imagine himself changing his lifestyle or changing who he is, letting go of his status because there's simply too much to lose. And the difference between him and the woman is that she has nothing left to lose. So she'll just go and, and 
and trespass in his house. She doesn't care anymore. But Simon, there's too much at stake for him. And I will say, especially for those of us who are the children or grandchildren of immigrants, or really anybody who has an awareness of the toil and struggle that those before you had to go through to arrive at a place of stability, there's so much for us to lose in truly following Jesus. And it's scary. And before we, I mean, and, I, and, and the goal is not even to say you must be willing to lose that. Actually, what I want to say is that I honor that impulse in us. I honor the sacrifice and the actions that our parents or grandparents or whoever in your family took to gain some sense of stability and peace. And I understand that it's difficult. It's difficult to even consider the idea that we might dishonor them or squander their sacrifice by taking risks or changing careers, or thinking about silly things like passion, or making a difference in the world, because there are so many good reasons for us not to rock the boat, for us to maintain the status quo, even if it's eating away at us, even if we know we're unhappy. Many of us, I think, would rather maintain the good that we have than to risk the good for the possibility of something better or fuller or more fulfilling. And I don't blame you for that, because I feel that too. And I think Simon probably feels the same way. He has an interest in Jesus. He invites him into his home. He is willing to feed Jesus. But he will keep his distance he will not give of himself. He will not reconsider what his life is built on. And he will not lower his guard. Jesus is allowed to occupy a neat spot in the corner of his life. But no furniture will be rearranged. Nothing will kind of be reexamined. For Simon, there's just too much to lose. He has a good life. Unlike the woman he has a good title, he has a good name, a place in society that he has worked hard for and he believes that he's earned it. He has status, even if it's not the highest spot, he's not the chief priest, it's not the most prestigious thing, but he's good, he's fine. He knows maybe there could be more and that's why he's invited Jesus over, but his good prevents him from pursuing anything more. He's fine. And why would any reasonable person risk losing what is fine? And it makes so much sense why Jesus then tells a parable in verse 41 about debt. And why so many of Jesus' stories are about things like debt and inheritance. Because it cuts to the core of what we believe about value. What we, be what we believe about what we deserve and about how we hope to care for our loved ones with the resources that we have, right? We are constantly preparing for these kinds of things. What are we saving up for our kids? What assets will we pass down to them? How can we make sure that they're gonna be okay? Jesus cuts to the core of this. 
But what Jesus is talking about today is hospitality and stewardship. In verse 43, after Jesus tells this parable and invites Simon to love more deeply, that it, which is to say to open himself up, it is, so, it is so painful for Simon to admit that he simply cannot love Jesus because he has too much to lose. He says, I suppose the woman will love you more. I suppose the person who owed the greater debt will love more. But he refuses to let that sink in for himself. There's nothing wrong with the fine, with the good that Simon has earned for himself. But one day, Simon will have to make a choice. One day, Simon will have to make a choice if Jesus is worth it or not. If it's worth it to risk the good that he's earned in his life for something better. One day, he'll have to make the decision. But Jesus begins the process, the slow, steady process with this parable, with this interaction, and by allowing the woman to show Simon what real love looks like. The invitation, I think, for all of us today, right, is to begin to see one another, to see the world, and to see ourselves through the eyes of Jesus. Because when we begin to see things through the eyes of Jesus, we realize how differently Jesus values things and people. How differently Jesus values the things compared to how we've been taught growing up. Jesus values people that we are quick to cast aside. And the things that we think are important um, and, and kind of the, the big things that we value in our life, oftentimes Jesus doesn't think they're that important. And there's freedom in realizing all of this. There's freedom in living into the fuller, more spacious life that Jesus has for us. Jesus values the woman and Simon so much. He loves them the same. But the invitation for each of them is very different. It's often described in, in when Jesus talks about his ministry in the, in the beginning of the Gospels as, uh, I will raise up valleys and bring down mountains, which is to say for the woman in the valley of society, Jesus honors her and empowers her out of her hiding so that she can know her true value outside of what society says about her. For Simon on his mountain, Jesus invites him to humble himself and to recognize his own brokenness and need so that he can also know his true value outside of what society says about him. Who do you resonate with more? Who are you more similar to? The woman or to Simon the Pharisee? And what is Jesus' invitation for you? I want to end us uh, with a quote from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. Uh, in it, God says this. God says, I don't want so much of your time, so much of your money, and so much of your work. I want you. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money. I want you. The woman brought Jesus her expensive perfume, but Jesus wanted her. 
and she was open to that. Simon opened up his home, but Jesus wanted him to open up himself, but he couldn't do it. God wants you. God wants you. Not your time, not your money, but you, all of you. Every good thing about you, every ugly thing about you, God wants you. Because through God's eyes, you are worth it. You have value. Yes, stewardship, especially on Pledge Sunday, stewardship is about our resources and our money, but it's more about whether or not we are willing to open ourselves up to Jesus and the life that he has for us. That's the much bigger thing that Jesus is always inviting us into. So what is Jesus saying to you today? What is Jesus inviting you? What steps is Jesus inviting you to take to open yourself more, to offering yourself? Because he wants you. So I'm going to invite us to just take a minute for a silent reflection. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Um, on every other chair, there is a pledge card, as I'm sure you've seen. My question for us is just this. What are you offering to Jesus today? Given the fact that Jesus desires you, what is your honest offering to Jesus today? I'm going to give us a minute just to kind of pray and reflect on this. Your offering could be a pledge, right? It could also be a certain kind of intention or commitment that you want to make for this week or for, this, or for the holidays, a certain posture that you hope to have. It could just be an honest acknowledgement of where you're at or the things that you're struggling with. What is a step that you can take to offer more of yourself to Jesus today? And the second part of that is, who will you talk to about it, right? Don't just keep this thing to yourself or say, okay, I'm going to work on this, but keep it a private thing. I invite you, obviously, to, to make this commitment to open yourself up and then to talk to somebody about it or even to talk about what's difficult about it. So take a minute to do that. I'm going to invite, um, we have some folks who are going to come around with uh, offering um, a collection bag. And if you have your pledge, um, then I uh, ask that you would put it in the bag as they come around. We'll have about uh, 30 more seconds just to continue to reflect and pray and to give your pledge card.
Let's pray. God, wherever we're at today and whatever uh, we are carrying in this moment, God, we offer ourselves to you, all the things that we deem good and all, even all the things that we deem broken or that we are ashamed about, God, we offer ourselves to you today. Thank you for desiring us. Thank you that you are a God who, um, who sees into us and who sees us as valuable and, and, and worth loving, God. Thank you that you are here with us. And thank you that, God, you desire us to move closer to you, to know you more deeply. And so, God, we offer this time to you, but we also offer ourselves to you. Thank you for being a God who loves, a God who draws near. And God, we just pray that you would uh, continue to be glorified in what little we can offer you, both today and in our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Won't you rise with us for the last song uh, for today? With much, with less. 
remain standing for the benediction. May God bless you and keep you, and may you know how deeply loved and valued you are by the creator of the universe, that you might share this love with the world in need. Go in peace.